Hello, hello, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? All right. So first of all, I wanted to start off with an apology. Um, originally, maybe a couple months ago, we are going to be, uh, our original plan for tonight's gathering was to be talking about art as community. And we are going to be bringing some folks in from Imagine That. And they are an organization that works with folks with developmental disabilities and using art as a form of empowerment and storytelling. So we are going to have that happen. And last week it became apparent to us that the, the speaker who was going to come had a lot, of, lot of, a lot of things come up. And so we needed to postpone the gathering. And so middle of the week last week, we huddled together and, and quickly shifted gears. And in the process of shifting gears, we made a few mistakes. And so at the open table, we want to make sure that we own up to those. So we were going to talk about dreams and visions, and we were going to talk specifically about Dreaming for Liberation, which was based on some really great work that Jamila Jones had done. And she was a part of the Mystic, she's a part of the Mystic Soul Project and part of the Mystic Soul Conference, which a number of us had attended this past summer. It's a person of color centered spirituality conference. It's really great. And I would highly recommend anybody and everybody to go. But in the midst of doing this, a couple things that we failed to do is we, we failed to ask for permission. We failed to consult Jamila be, before deciding on this gathering. And we did not mention that she was the inspiration behind the gathering on our social media posts. So because we care about honoring her work, we decided to go a different route tonight. And we want to say thanks to those people who invited us to reflect on our own decisions and to choose a different path. We're not going to get into like the intentions behind or what we were going to do for that specific gathering because we recognize that our intentions don't really matter. Actions are what matter, not the intention. But all that to say, we want to let you know that we are committed to doing better. It's also important to note that we will never arrive at the perfect anti-racism analysis. We, we will never do things perfectly. And if all of a sudden we present ourselves that we have it figured out, then you should be very skeptical of us because none of us will arrive as we do this work. We're going to fumble, we're going to slip up, but it's, in force. it's important for us to sit down, acknowledge the mistakes we make, uh, and commit to doing better. Uh, that, that's a part of our work as, as trying to be an anti-racist church. I just wanted to let you all know that, but also posted on our Facebook event page is some great stuff that was written by Jamila Jones. And so if you have not gotten the chance to check her out, we would highly recommend you doing so. And again, you can find that on our right in the middle of our Facebook event. We posted about it there. Uh, she's written a bunch of stuff on Medium, and she does a lot of really great work around Dreaming for Liberation. So thank you for hearing that. So now we transition into tonight. So uh, welcome to Advent, everybody. It's December. And uh, in the Christian tradition, this is the season where the church anticipates the coming of Jesus. Oppression was present. There was 400 years where God was silent. And then, boom, Christmas happens. The literal, it's like the literal birth of hope embodied. Jesus arrived on the scene and worked to eliminate oppression everywhere he went. So to start our evening tonight, we're going to be listening to a few different Christmas tunes. And I, I invite you to pay attention to the lyrics of these particular songs. And as you pay attention to the lyrics of these particular songs, I invite you to just notice two things. One, how oppression is represented, uh, how oppression is talked about, and two, how hope is represented, how hope is talked about. So pay attention specifically to those two themes as we listen to these Christmas songs. The first one is actually a video. It's Silent Night slash 7 o'clock news by Simon and Garfunkel. So before, before we continue, uh, you know, we, we listen to Silent Night slash 7 o'clock news and 
Then we heard these two Christmas tunes, but I think it's also important to, to bring in some headlines that aren't from 1966. So, uh, before we continue, I'm going to offer up this week's 7 o'clock news, just some headlines that have been happening. Pelosi calls on Democrats to proceed with drafting articles of impeachment. Joe Biden lashes out at Iowa Town Hall over his son Hunter's work in Ukraine. Pentagon weighs sending up to 14,000 more U.S. troops to Middle East. 140,000 died globally from measles in 2018. 62 refugees died after boat capsized off coast of Mauritania. Shocking video shows how Border Patrol let teenage asylum seeker die in custody. Uber says it received 3,000 reports of sexual assault in the U.S. in 2018. Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib targeted in far-right online operation. Ex-cop reveals how NYPD forced officers to arrest black and Latino men. UNC students protest after school secretly gave $2.5 million to neo-Confederate group. Colombia holds third national strike in two weeks. Workers strike across France today over Macron's pensions plan. Hand grenade thrown over wall of migrant shelter in Madrid. And George Zimmerman sues Trayvon Martin's family for $100 million. So this is some of what's happening in the world this week. It's decently heavy. So we've got Silent Night, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and I Heard the Bells. And all three of these songs share specific themes. In each song, there's an element of despair, uh, grief, hopelessness in the face of oppression. But there's also this theme of hope, hope that a new day will come, hope that a new reality will be birthed, hope that suffering and oppression will end and there will finally be peace on earth. I imagine that depending on the day we land somewhere along this spectrum, there are probably some days where we are overcome with with grief and just the weight of oppression. And there are other days where we're probably just brimming, just overflowing with hope, and there's nothing that's going to get us down. Like we feel that hope deep in our bones. One thing that's true of these songs is that they all contain both elements. They contain hope and grief, hope and anger, hope and despair. And there's also a longing for things to be made right. And contained within that longing are the elements of both hope and pain. But here's where we get into trouble. And here's where we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight. We get into trouble when we ignore the pain and go straight to hope. And there are plenty of ways that we do this. And so I'm just going to list a couple of examples. And we're going to spend some time around our tables discussing this as well. So one example. In our country, we've been socialized to numb out to others' pain especially if they fall outside of dominant or default culture. And in this country, the default culture is what? White, male, Protestant, educated, able-bodied, married, and on and on the list goes. So for anybody who falls outside of that default or dominant culture, we have been socialized to blame them for their oppression, for the oppression that they are experiencing. We are taught to blame them. And a couple of the ways that that we, we do this is through Not In My Backyard, Uh, We also do this through the pull yourselves up by your bootstraps mentality. These are ways that we operationalize this kind of mindset. And when we operationalize this kind of mindset, what happens is we create an emotional distancing, which allows us to do the not in my backyard, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and we can just go home feeling fine, that we are not implicated in someone else's oppression. 
Another way that we ignore the pain is by pretending that nothing wrong ever happened. An example of this would be uh, colorblindness. So colorblindness, if you're not sure what that is, I'm sure many of us, some of us in this room have probably said this, and other, others of us have definitely heard this, but it, it's the phrase, I don't see color, I see people. Why do we have to make everything about race? I don't see race, I'm colorblind. We're beyond this. So the unfortunate thing that this does is it erases the past and present injustices that black, indigenous, and other communities of color have experienced and still, can, still experience today. It also erases because it does not acknowledge how systems affect people differently based on their racial identity or sexual identity. So if you go across sectors and, and you look at outcomes by race, you will see, generally speaking, white folks having the best outcomes, black people having the worst outcomes, and other people of color somewhere in between. And so colorblindness refuses to acknowledge the fact that our systems don't work the same for everyone. And in fact, our systems are still excluding people by large margins. The last thing that it does is colorblindness doesn't celebrate the cultural differences amongst different racial and ethnic groups. It just basically says, hey, we're all the melting pot, which suddenly just becomes kind of gray and meh. And really what that is, is it's saying that everybody needs to assimilate to white cultural norms rather than us allowing for multiple cultural ways of being to be honored and respected at the same level. <clears throat> so what I'm getting at is, as these examples are ways in which we ignore pain, we look away from oppression and minimize the grief that's very real while jumping straight into hope. And this hope is inauthentic because it ignores the reality on the ground. So we can all be about hope, but if we don't look squarely at injustice, we, we end up erasing the lived experiences of folks who are hurting, and that can do an awful lot of damage. Hope when it emerges from sitting with the pain and grief and anger, however, both within ourselves as well as others in our community, that gives birth to more authentic versions of hope. So a little aside, I'm an Enneagram 7. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Enneagram. If you are not, I will tell you it is a spiritual tool. I'm not going to call it a personality test because I feel like it goes deeper than that. But it's something that, that uh, is very enlightening as to why we do the things that we do. And so as an Enneagram 7, I am called the enthusiast. I am the eternal optimist, which unfortunately means uh, a couple things. One, my, my uh, vice is gluttony. I am a glutton for life. And one of the reasons why I'm a glutton for life is it can be a coping mechanism. Because for me, one of the things that I don't like as an eternal optimist is sitting in pain and sitting in darkness and sitting in conflict. That is difficult for me, especially when I'm unhealthy. And so I fill my life with all of these fun experiences so I can avoid having to sit in it. So me, I'm built to move beyond the shadow, to skip the shadow and go straight to the joy, which is inauthentic. But the beautiful thing about the Enneagram 7 is the virtue is sober joy, which means I'm able to look at the shit that's happening within me and out in the world, and I am able to find joy and hope within it, which suddenly it, it, it is, there's a groundedness to it. It feels infinitely more authentic. And that's the place that I personally want to live from. So uh, what we're going to do now is... We're going to, at your tables, like maybe in groups of three or four, so folks have a chance to really uh, dialogue about this. Um, I want us to explore these three questions. And the questions are this. The first one is kind of a softball. Uh, what stood out to you from the songs you heard or the words spoken so far? Uh, what injustices are hard for you to look at? And why is that difficult for you? And the third question that you can explore is, in what ways have you found it difficult to hope? So the hope with these questions is for us to be able to sit for a minute in the darkness, in the injustice, in the grief, in the pain, and just be in it for a minute. Because I feel like if we, if we 
cruise right past this, past this, especially in the season of Advent, we're missing the whole point. And, and we're going to be emerging with a false sense of hope. So feel free to pick just one of these. Uh, get in groups of three or four. I'm going to give you about 10 minutes just to dialogue about it. Okay? And then we'll come back. All right. Let's uh, come back together. So be- before we move on, I'd be curious. I realize this is a very vulnerable thing to ask, depending on what was shared. Uh, but I'm, I'm wondering, just for the sake of the group, if uh, one or two people would be willing to share what they were reflecting on during this time. I will pause only for a moment, and then I will assume things were very vulnerable and maybe folks don't feel comfortable sharing in public, which is fine. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. We shared that we thought the, the music and the musicians were just really excellent. <laughs> Great. Yeah, that, that is this. That is this. Yeah. <laughs> well, just the, but the, it wasn't it wasn't flowery. It was very grounded. And it was very uh, real and sad, but at the same time hopeful. Mm-hmm. So thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Thank you. And I think sometimes even in the television, you know, it's kind of like it just puts it out there, and it's kind of like it prevents you from dealing with it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of like, oh, like when um, Zimmerman, you know, suing the family of the person who killed. I go, I just laughed. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the onslaught of the news makes it tough for us to really absorb any of this stuff because there's just like so much happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just shared that I think the injustices that are the hardest for me to hear about are the ones that I benefit the most from. Mm. Mm. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that was a hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm in a minority in this room. Uh, several ways, but one particular way is that I was somebody who actually was watching and listening to news 
in 1963. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I think there's value in looking back mm -hmm. and trying to be as objective as one can be in an assessment of how humanity overall or particular subgroups were doing at a particular time and how we're doing today, mm -hmm. okay? There are some horrible things that this brought our minds to that were going on back in 1966. Mm -hmm. Since 1966, there are some things that have been more horrible, arguably, than anything that was mentioned mm -hmm. in that newscast, right? So I think to be able to be impactful in our world, whether our world is this or this, however we size our world, it's important to keep an eye as best as we can, and I think nobody can do it alone, on what actually is going on in the world and in the world around us. And to balance us out both ways, because we were also talking about the music and Paul was great in bringing out the, the heaviness of the music. Right, as you were also, mm -hmm. because there are ups and there are downs. Mm -hmm. And it's important to try and maintain some kind of a balance mm -hmm. as we're moving forward. And if we're fortunate to be able to move forward, let's make sure that we're moving forward with the folks who have been held back mm -hmm. for way too long. Mm -hmm. That sense of uh, liberation being bound up together. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, thank you all for sharing. I was listening recently to a black writer, speaker, and a musician named Andre Harvey, or Henry, sorry. He was featured on a liturgist podcast just recently, and he was riffing on the, the plague of darkness uh, contained within the Exodus narrative. And so just a little bit of backstory, the, the Israelites have uh, been enslaved in Egypt, which is another way of saying they have been othered, and there have been specific systems and policies that were systemically brought to the table to continually oppress and exclude the Israelites. And then God decides to move to liberate God's people. And it comes in the form of a, of a variety of plagues intended to put pressure on Pharaoh's oppressive regime. So for the plague of darkness, God invited Moses to extend his hand and then God would then cover all of Egypt in darkness for three days. Uh, so Moses did just that. And it, as it says in Exodus 10, no one could see a thing except for the Israelites who had light where they lived. So Andre in the podcast reflected on why darkness fell on all of Egypt. Like why didn't it just fall on Pharaoh's household? Or why didn't it fall on just Pharaoh's household plus those people who are verbally and outwardly demonstrating hatred towards the Israelites? Why did it fall on all of Egypt? And the reason that he gives is because all of Egypt it was complicit in the oppression of the Israelites. There was no escaping it. Everyone in Egypt knew of the Israelites' plight, and they looked away. It was this inaction that actually allowed the Israelites to continue to suffer. So basically what he's saying is we can't be neutral on a moving train, as Howard Zinn puts it. Uh, either we are working to dismantle oppressive systems, or we are allowing it even if we're just sitting there doing nothing. Sure, we can sit on the seats, we can look away, we can look out the window, but if the train is moving and it's full of oppression and it's headed towards more oppression, we are all implicated in the injustice because we are all on the train together. 
As Fannie Lou Hamer says, nobody's free until everybody's free. We're on this train together, which means our liberation is also tied up together. But another thing happened. During this plague, light was present, which is interesting. The light was actually emanating from where the Israelites were, where the oppressed were, where oppression was felt most poignantly. And that is a powerful symbol, that in the midst of darkness, that in the midst of oppression, that's where light emerges from. That's where hope emerges from. God moved, Moses moved, and the liberating light only grew stronger, and then liberation happened. So we've, we've spent some time reflecting on times of darkness, uh, times of grief. We've discussed false hope the kind of hope that skips over the darkness instead of staring at it with open eyes. So during the season of Advent, Advent, like I said earlier, the Christian church anticipates the coming of Jesus, and we recognize that Jesus was a liberator of the oppressed and calls us to do the same. We mark the weeks prior to Jesus' coming by focusing on the themes of love, peace, hope, and joy. It's impossible, though, I would say, to know how revolutionary this kind of love, hope, peace, and joy is unless we also sit with the injustice sit with the pain that so many of us and so many in our communities experience. So hopefully during the first half of our gathering, we've acknowledged a little bit of the hurt and pain that we've experienced and we know others are experiencing. And so what I'd like for us to do now is to engage in an exercise of authentic hope. I'd like for us to reflect silently on two questions that are about to be before you. If that didn't just happen, there we go. So these are the two questions I want you to ponder. What is your vision or hope for justice in the world? And where do you see beauty in your community? So as I look at the latest headlines, um, I actually have hope when I see protests happening in Colombia uh, or protests on the UNC campus. And the reason why I have hope is because these folks have chosen not to remain neutral. That that probably was not even an option for them, but they, they instead chose to say no more to oppression and are galvanizing their people to join in the creative liberating work of forming a new society where justice, equity, and peace are actually practiced. But what about you all? Like, what is your vision for justice in the world? Where do you see beauty in your community? Where do you see the light and hope that comes only from sitting in the darkness? The light that led the Israelites to liberation, that same light that leads to our own liberation. So what I invite us to do now is just take a few moments. If it's helpful to to close your eyes, you can do that. Get squarely seated in your chair. And I invite you just to do a quick inventory. If you're feeling pain in any part of your body, just kind of roll it out or notice it, acknowledge it, and then let it pass. And then I invite you to take a few deep breaths in and out. As you continue to breathe, think about how you would answer these questions. What is your vision or hope for justice in the world? Where do you see beauty in your community? Feel free to stay in that space as long as you need, but um, when you're ready, you all are invited to grab a marker on your table, a piece of fabric that's on your table, and you can write either your hope for a just world or where you see beauty on, on, like write directly on that fabric. You can write both if you want. Just We invite you to respond by writing those responses on the fabric. Once you're done writing your responses on the fabric, we invite you then just around your table just to share what your hope or vision for justice would be or your uh, response to where you see beauty in your community. Once it seems to me like everybody has had the chance to share around the table, you will then, the band will play our final song and you all will be invited to take that fabric and go back to our community loom where you will then weave it onto the loom joining all our hopes for justice into one beautiful tapestry. 
So you got it? So at this point, you can take a marker, take fabric, write on it, share about it, song will play, you go up and weave it on the loom. And if, if you don't know how to weave on the loom, we do have some folks back there who can help you. And we also have some folks back there who are also going to speak a blessing over you as you weave your hopes and your visions for justice onto the loom. So we, as we do this exercise, we recognize that as a society, we suffer together, and it's going to be as a society that we are liberated together. And so uh, what, this is, what this is doing is not only are we going to have a rich symbol of our community's hopes and, and, and vision for a just city, a just community, a just country, a just world, but it becomes an even more powerful symbol when we operationalize it out in the world. Because when we take those collective hopes, those collective dreams, and, and take it out into the world, that is when liberation happens.